Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At bluenile.com, you can design a one of a kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to bluenile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at bluenile.com for $50 off your purchase. bluenile.com code LISTEN. The Telegraph. The Telegraph. Podcasts. Full contact. In association with Mitsubishi Motors, drive your ambition. Hello and welcome to Brian Moore's Full Contact with The Telegraph and Mitsubishi Motors. Well, after only a 231-day hiatus... The 2026 Nations is back. Ireland and Italy completed round four of the fixtures and this weekend we will see three teams battle it out to be crowned champions a mere seven months after the tournament was suspended due to the coronavirus pandemic. England's preparations for the final clash with Italy were dealt a blow after their warm-up game with the Barbarians was called off following a breach, well, several breaches of lockdown regulations by a string of Barbars players. We'll be discussing the impact of the cancellation and what it could mean for Eddie Jones' squad as they attempt to lift the Six Nations this weekend. England's women have already secured back-to-back Six Nations titles without having to kick a ball. The draw between France and Scotland on Wednesday was enough to secure a second successive title for the Red Roses and we'll be speaking to Captain Sarah Hunter about the prospect of it making it two Grand Slams in a row this weekend when they take on Italy. Oh, what a year it's been for Exeter Chiefs. They follow up their Champions Cup victory with a Gallagher Premiership final win over Wasps on Sunday. Director of Rugby Rob Baxter will join us to reflect on what's been an unforgettable year, both on and off the pitch, and to talk about what's next for himself, his club, and, well, what's next for rugby as we head into an uncertain new year. Well, as ever, we'll be answering your questions as well. And we'll be taking a closer look at some of the work being done at grassroots level during the last six months as part of the Mitsubishi Volunteer Recognition Programme. Alongside me today is the former England, Newcastle and Toulon Centre, Tom May. Hello, Tom. Hi, how are we doing? Good to be back, isn't it? Very good to be back. Good to be back. Strange times, but all all the same. Strange times. Um, Seven months since we've seen international rugby. Um, What do you make of, in general, of the return of the domestic and European club competitions. It's pretty hot and cold, isn't it? There's been some teams that have seemed to have thrived since well, what's the... Well, especially... Exactly. But then, then on the flip side of that, take someone like Northampton. Um, what does it mean to play in front of fans? Well, you can probably ask them and say it means a lot to us yep. as, a, as a club, as a team. Um, I think it's, it's... Do you know what? For... for, for Take away the performances. It's just been good to have rugby back and to be yes. able to focus on something different. Yep. Um, I think from a from a performance perspective, as a, from a coaching perspective, probably the coaches have thought, do you know what, that that break really caused us some issues. Um, and to get back to the games and hit the ground running, I think, was difficult for well, some I'll tell you teams. what's interesting, because Stuart Hooper at Bath said quite unashamedly, look, one of the things we think with Northampton are, over, are doing, are trying to play a game which they were majoring in seven months ago. It was quite an intricate game, and, and they got that off pat. To come back after such a long break and expect to do that straight away is very difficult. And we have said, no, we're going to be a bit more direct. We've got a very good fly half who kicks his goals, kicks into position, and we're going to prosper on that. Having said that, you know, Wasp's game was fairly involved, wasn't it? You know, and they came out uh, completely contrary to the Saints and managed to make that work. So I understand that theory in one way, but it seems to have been um, supported in one sense and then um, refuted You know, when you look at another example. I think it shows the difference of getting those early wins. Yeah. When you make a couple of losses 
and you're then on the back foot and you, you start looking for different things to try and drag you through and get you through. That's probably where Saints start to look to the fans, right? We need this extra extra lift. Um, and they didn't get that. And it just compounded itself, didn't it? Um, and and on, on the you know, totally opposite scale, Wasps completely cleaned up. Well, Tim, one of the problems I, I had with um, the way that the government's approached this is I was at the first event that had a crowd at, at, at Stoop. When there was social distance, there were about 3,000 people there. And it wasn't ideal, but it was better than nothing. And it was better for the players to have live contributions there. And you could feel that there was a difference, uh, you know, even with, um, you know, a fifth of the crowd in. And what I don't understand is, speaking to the people at Quinn's, I am aware that they followed up all the leads because they had all people's addresses and so on. And they didn't report anything of a spike at all. So rather than just assuming that sport, under any circumstances, would result in extra things, if they'd looked at this and said, wait a minute, well, this has been done like this and we've no evidence that, why don't we follow that through? Rather than just saying a blanket ban um, and nobody's allowed to carry on with these things. That doesn't make sense to me. Completely agree. I've been to uh, two or three stadiums, one of which was Allianz Park um, and the other was Franklin's Gardens. And... There is no way you can't get fans in there without them being socially distanced. Yeah, They're that big. They've got fan villages that they can use. They can use the different space. Uh, and it would make a massive amount of financial um, impact on those clubs in a time right now where we're looking... Well, a lot of three, at least four CEOs have told me it's a difference. If they can get that break-even of, say, a fifth or, uh, to a quarter in, they might survive. If, if it goes a whole season without it, a, a lot of them are looking at... A bankruptcy. Well, and I think what the frustration is, there's four events in the O2, which are packed out. <laughs> yeah. Uh, therein lies another story, though. We're, yeah. we're digressing. Anyway, um, going to COVID breaking regulations, um, what about <laughs> the Barbars players? Now, there were, there were two two schools of thought on this. Thing. Some people went over the top and said, you know, hang, draw and quarter them. But on the other hand, some people on social media were saying, oh, it doesn't matter, for God's sake, you know, lads will be lads. Now... I can't subscribe to that. I'll tell you why in a minute, but what's your view on it? I, I sit firmly in the middle in that you cannot do that. You, you need to understand, A, the, the privilege of playing for um, the Barbarians and the opportunity that presents itself. And, and the fact that you signed a contract and were taking money for it. Yeah. Therefore, you are bound by certain conditions. Yeah. I, I would imagine that coronavirus was mentioned on that contract <laughs> I would as well. Have thought, um, but, then, but then also... Um, the way some of them were torn to shreds, I was a bit like, whoa, whoa, you know, you can't you can't just hang people out like that and, and talk about them. Uh, these fellas, having, you know, everyone's made mistakes in big scenarios. These guys will know exactly the mistakes they've made. They'll, especially people like Robshaw. Um, well, you know the irony, Robshaw being a, a former England captain, what, it, what the, this has done is meant that England, unlike the other two people going for the title, Ireland and France... We won't have a warm-up game. So he's that really is not good. Yeah, and he's cost his in a time when he's not playing for his country. He's yep. cost his country. Yeah. Um, I think. I think also perhaps the guys that that were let go by Eddie Jones for an opportunity to be involved. Yeah. I mean, you, early on in your career, Eddie Jones is probably <laughs> not someone you want to be uh, no. causing uh, disciplinary issues with. No. So I, you know, I, I as I say, I am. Uh, stridently in the middle ground like you are. I don't believe they, they deserve to be pilloried in personal ways, but they should have realised that, say, for example, at Twickenham, the RFU has lost a million pounds over this, a million pounds that could have been spent in the grassroots game. That could be the difference between junior clubs going under and not. Simple as that. Yeah. And hundreds of people have been working on protocols, not just for the broadcast of the BBC, so I got the call sheets, you know, they involved 80, 90 people, hundreds of hours of work. And not Twickenham, thousands of hours of work trying to plan the social distancing rules. Can you imagine how complicated that mm, is mm. to try and, you know, accommodate people and so on? And, it, it, you know, so they should have understood that this work was going on. In fact, if they'd have thought about it, they would have done. And they should have done nothing to... What I don't understand, when you look at what they did, what, what, what did they do there... That they, they couldn't could, have done in the hotel bar. That's exactly what I was thinking. Yeah, 
I, it's really weird. I just you want to play get... drinky games? Absolutely no problem. It's a Tuesday. It's miles from the game. I understand that. But you know, you can have. But it might be free probably in the hotel. <laughs> <laughs> save save <laughs> yeah. your money. Anyway, let's move on. On the pitch, um, England can win the Six Nations this weekend. Um, they're probably. I would think they're, they're probably still just about favourites because obviously Ireland and France are playing each other. They, they, they both can't win, so. Um, England, you have to get a bonus point. It's perfectly doable. But um, how do you think... I mean, Jones is his own way of motivating players. What what do you think they will be able to do? How effective do you think they'll be being able to be without that game going into a, a live game? I think clearly they would have preferred to have had a had a hit out and, and, and get their bodies physically prepared. Some of them haven't had games for a, a good while. Um, but actually... I think the way that Eddie Jones prepares his men, the the mindset within a lot of those guys to to, to, to train at test level when they're when they're in camp, I think they'll come out of it all right. And See, actually, yeah. against Italy, they've probably got a chance to. to yeah, they need to win by twenty four points if it comes down to points difference. Now, I mean, I hitherto have always would have always been very suspicious that you can't really replicate stuff in camp. But I've seen Jones's um, squads come out of camp only. And going to games, big games, and be, you know, for, be, be right on the mark straight away. Yeah, I've seen him do it the other way. So it is possible. It just depends. It's been a, a quite a long time. Um, what are they going to do? Do you think out of half? You know, um, Farrell not play for two months. George Ford was it? Well, was due to miss the Barbarians game with a knock. Presumably, be, he'll be up there or thereabouts now. I would think, given that Manu's not there, both of those would be involved. Yeah. Yeah. Which is why Go he prob- probably didn't start, or he because he had the knock in inverted commas. Mm-hmm. He just said, "Right, we'll get you out." Um, I would put Owen Farrell at twelve. I probably have Henry Henry Slade at thirteen. Yeah, um, I think it's got. It probably doesn't have exactly the right balance because you would like to have a ball carrier in there. Um, and there's 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 talk, isn't there, of someone like Lawrence being able to Ollie Lawrence being able to step in and, and mirror what Manu does, but I'm not sure that's. Well, against Italy, possibly the one team in the Six Nations where that ball-carrying threat, you can cover it up, you know, be better yeah. with, with, because you've got other uh, weapons around you. Um, I mean, I don't have any doubt that, they, that, that they'll go over there and win. I mean, simply because yeah. Italy's record recently, I mean, it's been awful. It's terrible. It's terrible. Uh, it's just a question of uh, whether they go in undercooked. Let's turn our attention to the women's Six Nations and... Congratulations, the women, England's women have secured another Six Nations without even playing. Uh, we're very pleased, or I'm very pleased to say that I can speak now to Sarah Hunter, the England women's captain. Hello, Sarah. Uh, how did it feel uh, winning a title without having to play for, for several months? You know, it's um, a very strange time that we're in generally to so to be sitting on the, the sofa watching the, the France-Scotland yeah. game and and then not to quite realise at that time, but to, to look on your phone a bit later and see um, via social media that we we've won. The, Hold on, you say you didn't you d- didn't register? You, <laughs> you weren't. Did, did go- it, yeah. <laughs> oh, really? I didn't even I hadn't even done the the maths. You know, we've been so focused on going to to Italy next week and to winning the Six Nations there that I didn't even like I didn't <laughs> even think about the different permutations about results that happened this weekend that we could have possibly won it. So, so yeah, it was a it's a bit strange. So when your clubmate Sarah Nelson, uh, Helen Nelson, nailed that touchline conversion and, and, and seal the draw for Scotland you you weren't out there thanking us immediately afterwards and texting or jumping no I had, I had no idea I was really pleased for them you know the, the performance uh, the Scottish girls put in and, and more so that obviously we've got really close ties with with, with Helen and, and Rachel Malcolm and Leah Bartlett and obviously Sarah Bonner who used to be at, at Lightning and I, I was so pleased in terms of the performance they put in and, and you, you like you said that, that kick by by um, by Helen, you know, we come to expect that from what we see week in week out. But for her to go and do it in a, a pressure game like that was 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 brilliant. And there was probably more 
um, pleased with them without, like I say, I, I had absolutely no idea. So there was messages going to say, well done, great performance, like great result. But I, it didn't twig until we saw it come through on, on social media that we'd actually actually got the, the victory. Because like I said, our, our focus had purely been on next weekend, not anything about the results from, from this weekend. So, so yeah, it's a, a bit surreal way to, to win a Six Nations sat on your sofa. Sarah, given the, the amount of focus that you talk about that you had coming into this this fixture so the fact that you've now won it does that affect your mental state does that affect your preparation moving through this week no not at all I think it, it shows just where the, the team are in terms of obviously we, we wanted to, to win the Six Nations when we set out and we wanted to do that by winning every game um, and nothing's changed obviously we've had that, that long break since we last played Wales um, back in March to to, we knew that when we got the the go ahead to to play this game against Italy, that actually that that's where our focus um, like reverted to. That we want to go there, we want to we want to finish the tournament off like we set out, and that was to to win. So, in the last few weeks, uh, when we've come back into into camp, you know that's always been our focus, our preparation in terms of um, how we get ourselves in the best place to to go to Italy and and to to win that that Grand Slam and uh, and back up the Grand Slam from 2019 as well. So you you've had a, a very eclectic career. I mean, you've won so much, but this is the first time, well, and, and hopefully it will be the last time uh, that you've had to lift a trophy in an empty uh, stadium. Um, um, how have you found the, the the return to rugby in general? Yeah, you know, um, it, it will. It's certainly been um, rather strange um, playing um, without crowds. I think over the years that I've been involved, even at our club level, we, we've grown to to get to get crowds on a Saturday afternoon. And obviously at international level, we've gone from probably having a, a couple of hundred to having tens tens of thousands of, of people come to to watch the, the game. So um, no doubt it will be. Um, a bit surreal uh, next weekend or this weekend I should say um, but I think it, it's the situation that we found ourselves in nothing's normal anymore is it um, over the last sort of seven months so um, I think we, we've grown to get used to doing things a little bit differently and although it will be our friends our family won't be there the supporters that have have grown to to travel around the the, the world to to watch us play as England fans um, it, it will be it'll be sad to, to not have them there but I know that obviously lifting that trophy will will try and show what we mean to to sort of say thank you to to all those friends and families that support us throughout and you know that the pandemic's been a really challenging time for for everyone and I guess for sports people included in terms of it's changed our lifestyle um quite significantly but obviously um we're now fortunate to be back in a position and doing our job that that we so badly love and want to do and that's not quite the same for everyone else so I think there'll be a little bit of reflection on yes there's an empty stadium but there's a reason there's an empty stadium and that's to um, hopefully help with with getting us through this pandemic and over the the, the sort of final hurdle to, to getting back to a normal world and for that we're thankful that we can get to do that and recognise that not everyone's in that position to, to do that anymore. Wise words Sarah, uh, congratulations on the win. Um, let's make sure that you go out in your own style the way you want to. Uh, so good luck uh, over the weekend. Oh, thank you very much. We'll do our best. Now, let's say it loudly. European champions, Gallagher Premiership champions. It's Exeter Chiefs in the space of a week. And I'm really, really happy to say we can speak to the man who's at the helm of all this, Rob Baxter, Exeter's Director of Rugby. Rob, hello, and how are you feeling? How do you sum all that up? Yeah, it's been an interesting week. I mean, I'll, I'll be honest, <laughs> with you, the easiest way to sum it up probably is is now, once we got that that final whistle went on Saturday, was, uh, as I said after the game, probably a little bit of relief, based on, I don't know it sounds a little bit strange, but almost having to have everything pent up and on hold. Yeah. Um, over all the good things that had happened in those that number of weeks, you know, beating to lose in the Heineken Cup semi-final was a huge game for us, and then we had a tough Premiership semi-final, and then obviously the racing game was incredible how it went down to the wire and the way it did, um, and then the similar thing happened the week after, with us, you know, looking like five minutes of the game left, and there was a chance of of Wasp kind of killer killer sucker punching us, I suppose, a bit really with a five meter line out, um, but we've come through it all and. As I said after the game, it felt a little bit like we could actually stop then and enjoy things and 
and, and appreciate what we've gone through because you know everyone knows in sport actually appreciating the wins and appreciating the journey and um, is very important because it, it goes by so quickly your sporting career but in the current climate um, especially around the, the testing regime that, had, that you had to get through every week to be allowed to play the next game um, things certainly felt like like they've been on hold and we could actually kind of semi-let our hair down because we had a four-hour bus trip back from, from Twickenham. So <laughs> we actually had the opportunity to stop and, and enjoy what we'd achieved. So it was, it, was, it was a nice way to finish the season, definitely. How hard is that, Rob, on the back of the Champions Cup final? Because you're desperate to celebrate that win, but you've, got, you've also got to sort of dampen those celebrations down, knowing that you've got, you've got a ticking clock to the next week. How difficult was that? I think that's. I think that was the, in some ways the biggest challenge because you know, especially over the last few years, you've probably seen teams winning the Heineken Cup and having you know really big celebrations and almost you know going on for two or three days and everyone kind of buys into it and and that's kind of kind of almost what's expected by the lads now. They're kind of part of the reason to get to those games and to have those experiences is also those experiences post game and how you can celebrate together and enjoy those moments and that's obviously been totally different. Um, so, I mean, to be fair, after after the Hunting Cup final, I'd stayed in the in the changing rooms at Bristol for a, quite a while. Uh, I have to say, you know, the staff, everyone at Bristol was fantastic, brilliant with the players and with us, and kind of did make it feel like it was a home game in a lot of ways, which was which was great. So they didn't they weren't in any rush to get the get the lads out and moved on. They let them really have a bit of time there, and I think that was important because we couldn't really spend time anywhere else. You know, we only had a short bus trip home. Um, and then obviously by the time we got home, you know, everything shut down. Um, so it was it was it was nice it was nice for that time in the change room. But as I said, I think that's part of the reason why we still had that kind of emotional release that that needed to get through the following week. Because the reality is, the lads couldn't do that much on the Sunday because they had to pass a COVID test on Tuesday morning. <laughs> and everyone's been very aware that you know actually. However, we want to look at it. It's not so much the illness that's stopping rugby players, because you know of the ones we've encountered, no one's actually become ill. Um, it's that passing of the test, because the passing of the test just puts you out of the, the next game. And in your, your last four or five games of the season, as big as our games were, that's quite a pressure cooker that can build up over that that month to six weeks. Um, and, and that's certainly something that has been a, a different challenge and an interesting challenge in a lot of ways. Robert, across the pandemic, there's been so much much comment across sport about how everything's really difficult. It's 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 tough to get through. Obviously, all the testing protocols, everything's out of kilter. Is this pandemic allowed you as a coach to do anything that you perhaps haven't been able to do in regular times? Is there any any positives from a coaching perspective? I think obviously you can't run away from the one big positive, which is the extended break, because. Yeah. You know, players genuinely had a time away from the game there mm. that most successful players won't have at any other time in their career mm. because the only other time you'll get that length of break away from rugby is if you have a pretty severe injury. And as, as you know now, you know, if you have a severe injury that could be a six, nine month, 12 month injury, you're pretty much actually in more, more time than the players because full time rehab days now are kind of seven in the morning till half past five at night. Um, and, and so actually you don't have that, that time away where you have to take individual responsibility. Um, where, we were, where we were fortunate or, or, or where we've done it right was the group of players took a massive amount of individual responsibility around maintaining their individual programs. And that allowed us then with the stage one process, which was purely non-rugby you know, specific. It wasn't, it wasn't about balls and it wasn't about team playing. It wasn't about interaction with other players. When we first came back, the lads came back in a very, very good condition and that allowed us to work very hard in that stage one process, which was pure you know, gym work and pure running. And I, and I think we did get some gains there that would probably be impossible to get in any other, any other scenario because you just haven't got the time to take that long to get into rugby. So I think that would be the one, the one thing. If you're asking about rugby-specific things, if I'm 100% honest with you, the decision we made was to look at our strengths becoming bigger strengths. Mm-hmm. So we actually said in the period that we have back playing, which was only, I think it was only like a 10-week period in total from us getting back in till the, till the last game, we said, actually, you know, we should be really trying to introduce too much new and fresh. We took the decision not to, and it worked out very well for us just to re-drive our strengths. And I know for a fact some other premiership teams really looked at an awful lot of things and 
that kind of messed them up because mm. you just didn't get the time to establish them without getting under pressure on the on, on the league table. So we, we kind of looked, I think, more physically and freshness and emotionally fresh and recharging those batteries was the was the biggest thing. Um, and then the flip side of that, the emotional challenge once you got back in is not having crowds and not having people there and not having the things in the background that can kind of help you along and, uh, and create those special sporting occasions. So, you know, we recharged the batteries one way and then it was a good job we did because I think the season on a whole has been quite an emotionally draining season. That's a point I just want to pick up on. You, uh, fortunately, have, have, have tangentially raised it. When knowing team sports, the vicarious pleasure you get out of winning, not your own, but your teammates and so on, knowing the sort of club exeter are within the community, how difficult has it been when you haven't been able to fully share it with people who've been on this long, long journey as supporters, many of whom you'll know, you know intimately? Yes, it's it's been it's been very difficult, and I think people have probably under, underestimate how hard it's been for them. And and all, always round, I think, I know I know I know some people get a bit I don't know a, a, a bit afraid or that they don't like talking about the emotional side of things. And we haven't got a problem with extra chiefs, and we never have done. We've talked about it a lot with the players, and I think I think probably the biggest the biggest description or the biggest uh, guide or the biggest. Um, time that you really saw how important emotion is around sport was probably when we won the Heineken Cup and you saw so many players on, on phones in tears and I, I know for a fact it doesn't matter how big that game would have been if their families had been there and they could have just gone over to the side of the pitch and had a hug and you know started talking about the game there wouldn't have been that many tears there'd have been lots of smiles there'd have been lots of enjoyment but the emotion was so different without those you know loved ones and people you care about and the people who've kind of been on this journey with you, it was, it was an incredible, incredible thing to watch. And, you know, and, and I think that probably signifies more than anything else what that bond can be like. And, and similarly, I had loads of phone calls and texts and emails from people literally, and the first thing they were saying was they were all sat around watching the TV crying. Um, do, you in any, do you in any way feel cheated a little bit? Not, not down to anyone's, you know, malevolence, but, you know, circumstances cheated you from what, what should have been a more fulsome experience and even better uh, uh, experience? Oh, 100%. I mean, I don't think anybody would turn around and say that they wouldn't have preferred there to be big, you know, huge crowds there and you really feel that the whole build-up to the, to the game. Because it is, it, it is different. It is very odd being in a, in a, in a huge stadium just before the biggest game in the European calendar and it being quiet and there being nobody there. You can't, it's very hard to describe. It's, once the game starts, the emotions of watching it, I suppose from a coaching perspective, they're just as gut-churning and they're just as worrying, they're just concerning and you know, those emotions in the actual game itself te- technically and tactically doesn't really change. But the whole build-up and the post-game and the, how, you, how you feel the crowd reacting to the momentum and the flow of the game it's so different that it's it's almost changed changed the sport in a lot of ways, um, and it's certainly something that obviously everyone who's involved in all levels of sport, but especially everyone involved in rugby at the moment with the financial unpredictability, we just we've just got to be desperate that we can get whatever we can back and going and start a process. I think the big thing for us is already coming for me is it feels a little concerning that we feel so far off wanting to start the process of moving things along, and uh, when you look at how big groups of people are there are going to be allowed to be in the near future. I believe there's an event at the O2 relatively soon with several thousand people. You know, actually, the logistics of some of these big stadiums of getting thousands of people in are pretty simple. Um, and and, I, and it, it worries me a little bit that we're not taking some, you know, even if they're cautious, but some first steps to start getting the process back on track. Well, it would help if uh, those who are going to do it actually paid attention to them. I, I won't ask you <laughs> from the barbarians. A, a fan question uh, before you go. From uh, an extra fan, Doug. Robbie said, how do you now evolve this squad to ensure long-term success? We have a number of key members who are at the end of their playing careers. I think the reality of the season will actually be a driver for us because you know, some people probably still aren't aware because they haven't really probably studied the rugby calendar. But when we start in, in three or four weeks' time, every single weekend is either a Premiership game or a Heineken Cup weekend. First three rounds of the Premiership clash with uh, three international fixtures. So, uh, as ourselves, as, as with some other clubs, we'll have probably six, seven, eight people away, plus a couple of guys who've been off operations. Probably pretty much gets to 10 players 
from the 23 that played in the cup finals, probably unavailable for at least those first three rounds. So if that in itself means there's at least 10 more players who've kind of been on the fringe of that group will have to come in and, and have to play well enough to, to win games of Premiership Rugby for us to have a season we can we can call as a follow-on season to this, to this season. So the, the evolution will probably happen a little bit, almost because we're forced to do it. And I don't mind saying, you know, I've probably got a few... Um, a few players who have been a little bit ginger this morning after having a weekend of celebrations in the next day or two are going to get a bit of a rude awakening from me over <laughs> phone calls because some of the lads haven't played rugby for three or four weeks now, maybe longer. And they're going to be guys who are going to expect to play on day one. Well, they can't have a week and a half pre-season and, and expect to really perform in a premiership game. Some of those guys are going to have to realise their physical preparation needs to start pretty quickly if they're going to want to play in like three four weeks' time. Because the reality is, we, this would be a short pre-season if we started now mm. and mm. and we're not starting for two and a half weeks so we've got to get a reality around what we're expecting from each other and what we're going to expect from this group and how we're going to move ourselves forward with those experiences because if we do it right we'll automatically evolve the squad because of the pressures of having to play if we get it wrong then you can see how you can make a season right battle for yourself and, and let's not remember when, when we get back out of these three games I think there's only three for the seven weekends four Heineken Cup games three Premiership games and we're back into the Six Nations, which is going to be, again, all clash with premiership games for seven or eight weekends. So the, the challenges on squads this season in themselves, if we do it right, should develop us as a club and should help us you know, drive the squad to another level. Final question, if you don't, uh, if you don't mind, Rob. Uh, a lot of speculation has been made and it's been put to you several times about the England job. I just, I'm not going to ask you to nail it down one way or another. I just wondered about this. Do you think... Um, the sort of preparation you've had at uh, Exeter is sufficient for a national job? Or do you think there's something else you need to add on to your CV? No, I don't. I mean, I'm, I, think, I think so. I think the, the, the challenges of coaching in the Premiership are, are bigger than people think. And I think probably what people don't understand is how much world rugby, when, you, when you're involved in recruiting, building a squad, running a salary cap, all the things that are there and all the challenges around the infrastructure, the, co- uh, the coaching group you want around you, your conditioning, how you, how you run your conditioning staff, same with your medical staff. Those, those challenges are, are kind of no different. And I think what people sometimes underestimate is that you literally watch game after game after game after game of rugby, whether it be international, super rugby, all the different leagues, because the recruitment process never stops. And... Because there's always an ongoing scenario, where does your squad sit? Uh, what's kind of be developing through from the young players? Where are you going to need to add quality? And, and then where are those quality players? When are they available? What games do you need to watch to see them? You see so much of rugby, I think people probably underestimate that you, you're actually kind of at the forefront of everything that's happening all the time. There isn't many people who, who are in these top jobs in the premiership. And, and that's not just directed at rugby. I'm talking about head coaches, and the frontline coaches are guys like Ali Heath and Rob Hunter at Exeter. You're, you're massively experienced in all of that, all of the time. And I, and I do understand people saying there's a difference when you have to bring a group together over a short period of time. But of course, there's, there's, there's challenges in everything. But that's no different to throwing a challenge to someone who says you've got a week and a half pre-season and, you've got, and you might have half your squad missing. You know, is that such a different challenge to guys coming together for the first time? I mean, there's going to be periods this season where the England group are together longer than the extra Chiefs group are together. Huh. I don't think we'll. I don't think we'll ever have our players together as a whole squad, as long as England are going to have them through the Six Nations period. So, what's the more challenging one? Do you see what I mean? I think people mm. underestimate all those things when they actually, when they actually look at the challenges between the two. Are they different? Of course, they're different. Are the people who do the jobs different? I think they are. Um, but that doesn't mean that one challenge doesn't doesn't prepare you for the next one. Good points well made. Rob, it's been a pleasure to speak to you. Congratulations again from everyone here on your successes. Long may they continue. And uh, let's hope that someone listens when we comes to the safeguarding of uh, rugby's future in general. Thank you very much. Thanks, Brian. Thanks, Tom. Cheers. Level-headed. Level-headed, emotional to the right extent. You know, a very impressive man. Very impressive man, isn't he? Yeah, great to chat to. And I think... I think when you when you listen to someone like that, there's always a there's always something going on in the background that yep. that, that provides a solid argument to everything he does. Yeah. Um, 
And, and you can see why when you've got a level-headed coach like that that understands players, that understands emotions, why, why they're doing so well. Well, let's go into the Six Nations preview. Or the end, well, the end weekend. Look, um, <laughs> Ireland and Italy, they resumed in, in, you know, in typical fashion. I think Ireland did the job. They might have wanted it to go a bit better, but they got the expected bonus point win. But they were looked across when France was smacking uh, Wales and thought, actually, that's not easy. Not easy. France playing well. Dupont, tremendous at the moment. I mean, it's amazing. amazing. The two racing scrum halves, they were both good players. Can't even get in the squad. No. No, he's he's actually sewn that position up as well, isn't there? Isn't, At the moment, is, yeah. yes. He's just he's penned in every week. Um, I, listen, I I think the game at the weekend when when France were playing, Wales allowed Dupont far far too much time in yeah. and, in and around that breakdown to yeah. start managing the game, and that's one area that um, the Ireland will definitely focus on. Shutting him down, well, shutting to. down in Tamak. Because if yeah. they if they both get armchair rides, yeah. they'll tear you to shreds. Yeah. Um, I, do you know what? I I think France might France France might do a job on Ireland. Oh, mm-hmm. I, I think. I yeah, think I mean, you, I mean, the, the England, as we said before, they need twenty four points if it comes down to points difference. And if you are a betting man, you probably put the money on that because I think they'll do that. What about Wales? I mean. Four defeats in a row now for Wayne Pivak, and it, it's far too soon to start pressing eject buttons and calling for heads, but um, there have been atypical Welsh performances in this sense. Um, Wales used to be very difficult to score against, and that isn't proving to be as difficult as it, as it used to be. Especially when your defence goes, go, goes to the team that you played against <laughs> yeah. at the weekend. Um, look, I, I think whenever a coach leaves, especially someone of the quality of Sean Edwards... There is always an element that the next coach in is going to try and make his stamp on the team. And new systems, little tweaks to whatever system they're trying to employ, take time. Yep. Um, and, the, and the way that those messages are conveyed come from Sean Edwards in a, in a certain way. Yep. Uh, and they'll be coming from Byron Hayward in another way. Um, but whatever it is at the moment, it's taking some time to bed in. And you just think, I don't know, the, the French... They sort of beat Wales up a bit, didn't they, really? Um, And I think Wales have really got to try and dig deep and try and find a way quickly to establish what what it is that's make... What what, what are they about as a team? Well, Scotland, it'd be interesting to see Finn Russell. He's back. Um, Mercurial. I mean, nothing. you know, Finn Russell makes his case for and against him every time he plays. You know, there are things that other people just cannot do that he does. And there are mistakes that he makes. We'll look back to that Champions Cup final. Exactly. I mean, you know, the, the, there are when he makes a mistake, it's an absolute howler, um, and will probably cost his team. But on the flip side of that, some of the things he does are, um, you know, magical to watch. Mm. Um, and and so I think a team like Scotland need an element of that to to to, to really drive them forward. Well, Scotland are never, in my opinion, never going to be a team that can win attritional things. They're going to have to play on the edge, and that will include that. And, and it, yes, it, it, it may mean they can't mount uh, a challenge for a World Cup because somewhere along the line they'll have a flaw in them. But they'll get a lot further, and they'll enjoy themselves, and the, the spectators will enjoy watching mm. them a lot more mm. if they go down that route rather than any other route because I don't think other route is, any other route is, is going to pr- prove profitable either. I think I think there's an argument really to have Hastings and Finn Russell in the same team. Um, I think if they have two ball players with a, a brilliant understanding of the game, they've got some dynamic runners. They've got strike runners. They've got players like um, Hamish Watson that, that can balance them as well. Yeah, and when Hogg comes back into the, into that fray, I think I think with two ball players, it, it creates far more options for them that that. That can allow those runners to get in there. I think. I think Finn Russell on his own is pr- probably um, leaves leaves too much uh, on his shoulders to, as a, as an individual. Full contact in association with Mitsubishi Motors. Everyone's ambitions are different. You can climb to the top, or you could take on uphill battles of a different kind. You can explore for hundreds of miles. Or you could begin a bigger journey. You can make time fly. 
or you could make it stand still. The Mitsubishi SUV range. Drive your ambition. Let's now go into partnership with England Rugby, Mitsubishi Motors and their volunteer recognition programme, which provides the rugby community with opportunities to recognise and reward the volunteers who are the heartbeat of our game. Now, in normal times, thousands of volunteers across the country give their time up each week to support the game we know and love. Without their dedication, energy and commitment to rugby would simply not happen. However, look, when COVID-19 hit, many of these selfless individuals turned their attention to matters away from rugby, helping their local communities and vital services fight through the pandemic. In association with Mitsubishi Motors, the Full Contact podcast will be talking to a selection of these volunteers to hear their stories and shine a light on the brilliant work they've done during these most challenging of times. First, we want to speak to Nick Winwood of Letchworth Garden City, who uh, is one of these such volunteers. Hello, uh, Nick. Well, I think, have we met before? We have indeed. We have. We'll the, go into uh, that later on, the circumstances. Yeah. I don't want to give this away, <laughs> circumstances of that. Yes, uh, we have, yeah. Look, how long have you been involved uh, with, uh, with Letchworth? Um, I've been at Letchworth since '96. Um, a previous club I played for folded, and uh, you know they were my hometown club, so it was a no-brainer, really. Mm-hmm. And how how did you contribute to the club before, during, and uh, and during the lockdown? Well, before um, I'd sort of slipped into the the volunteer role of coaching, so I've been coaching a, a, a mixed ability rugby side, which is such great fun, yeah. and I'm now uh, coaching the Colts side. Um, which I've continued through for since I was sort of under 15s, um, and an inaugural ladies side, which I've now been asked to get involved in the in the coaching of. So that was all starting to happen as we went into lockdown. Um, huge disappointment for my my younger lads who'd reached the cup final, but um, unfortunately missed out on that opportunity to play that. But uh, yeah, that sort of led us into lockdown. And within the lockdown, the lockdown period, we, we as a club, like many clubs across the country, have just embraced the need of the community. So what needs to be done, we put numbers up to do it. Um, and that works extremely well, certainly in our community, because there are so many people involved with the club that are also involved in volunteering in other areas of the, the community as well. So it just sort of overlaps and... It's been a good resource, I think, for for everyone in the area. Nick, look, you talk about the reaction of the club to the lockdown and helping in other areas, but how difficult or, or, or how have you looked to try and maintain the club and, and its morale? Because it's really difficult when when something of this importance is, is shut down. Well, that, that's been massive, and I think it's opened... Um, or expanded certain areas that we were starting to look at within the the world of, of rugby anyway, which is about you know the mental health of of, of players. Um, certainly, with the, um, the 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 teenagers that I was involved with, I got several phone calls from parents saying, "Can you give my son a call? He's just locking himself away in his room. I don't know what to do with him." Um, you know, those sort of things have come into play, which. We, yeah, we've never experienced as volunteer coaches before and volunteers in clubs at that level. But it just meant that as we were on the right pathway, we were able to sort of embrace it, pick it up and run with it. Um, and then as soon as we were able to actually get small groups together to actually start running around outside yeah. and l- letting some of these uh, <laughs> these young men meet their friends again... Um, run around, get out of breath, experience the fresh air. And yes, okay, they went back into into their family units and we followed all the regulations, but it, it was the right thing to do and it's uh, it's helped them no end move on. I've seen this uh, with my girls um, who have been at school, have been, have been distance learning, have now gone back to playing rugby um, and, and so on. It's been an absolute blessing for them. I, I, I think they didn't quite understand what, how much it gave them. Now, how you know when the, the return to rugby has not been um, straightforward. Um, you can't do exactly what you were doing before. How have you 
managed to, to handle that unless with um, we, well we've looked at, at what the what the regulations have been um, we certainly separate out training nights so whereas there used to be a regular you know Tuesday Thursday Wednesday training nights and nobody else trained on any other other times apart from a Sunday um, but we started training on Monday nights uh, Friday nights, just to create the space so yep. that people had the the right safe environment to do things with. But we, yeah, we followed it to the letter really, and we, we made it a real, real clear direction to not only the players but their families that they have a responsibility in this too. That th- we're going to do it. This is how we're going to do it. But you have to buy into it as well. Mm. And and we got that. Um, and then as we've progressed right the way through. Um, you know, our club has now turned into a, certainly on a Sunday, complete one-way system, mm-hmm. which includes the clubhouse and outside. So you enter the playing surfaces down one route, and then you clear the playing area for the next group to come on, uh, being respectful about all of that, and then you leave through the the, the exit area, um, which uh, you know when you look at it over four or five playing fields, that's the that's quite an achievement to to make that happen. But people have respected that, and and it's worked. It is quite an achievement, but actually it works well, doesn't it? When they all do it properly, they all get out of the way quickly without messing around, which is quite nice. You know, like a bonus bonus question. I know that you were one of three lucky people who were sent to Japan last year as part of the uh, Mitsubishi. Ruby Volunteer Programme for the final. Uh, and I remember, because for people who don't know, Mitsubishi had three people, or three people there, who thought they were competing for one place. As it turned out, they were all sent, which is very generous. Um, and the the look on everyone's faces when they were told they won was great. Uh, you were one of those people. What was it like? Um, well, that was one of the best stitch-ups I think I've ever come across. And, <laughs> that, you know, uh, yeah, I'll hold my hand up. Yeah, hook, line and sinker, superb. In the best traditions of the rugby world, yeah, we, we were sucker punched. Um, it was, uh, it came from left field. I was just, I felt privileged just to have been shortlisted. Um, and then to actually get the opportunity to go was just mind-blowing. Mm. Uh, it, it was... Uh, a whirlwind of a trip. We were we were extremely well looked after by by England Rugby and from Mitsubishi. Yeah, and we can never thank them enough for that. Um, yes, we we managed to go and see the final. Unfortunately, the result didn't go our way. But as in the rugby world, we made lots of friends on that day. But then the highlights of the trip really started to kick in because the following day we went out into the grassroots of the game out in Japan. We got involved in coaching for uh, coaching youngsters from as young as six and seven, right the way up to um, you know seventeen year olds uh, playing their representative rugby, with visits along to some university rugby settings along the way, and you know the icing on the cake from that particular day, which I think probably was the the best day of the whole trip, was um, we got involved in a small town who had put on a fate to raise money for damage caused to their town by the typhoon. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we were taken along by our guide, introduced us to some of the local rugby lads who had put on a, you know, come and hit the tackle bag, come and get lifted in the line out. You know, for a, for a few pennies, we'll lift you and take your picture and, and that sort of thing. And we just got ourselves involved in that. And it felt very much being part of the community there and actually giving something back to you know this town that had suffered so much hardship and damage in, in recent days. Um, so to bring those sort of memories away, uh, you know, it's stuff that you can't buy and yeah, it, it really, really touches the heart. Well, Nick, um, um, thank you. Um, thank you for all your services. Been, uh, it was recognised. Thank you for coming on the show. Just keep doing what you're doing because without... You and the likes of you, Ruby, you know, simply would not exist as we know it. Thank you very much. It's been an absolute pleasure, and thanks, Brian. You keep up your good work too. Well, for more details about the Mitsubishi Motors Volunteer Recognition Programme with England Rugby, you can visit www.englandrugby.com forward slash participation forward slash volunteers. A couple of of questions from... uh, 
from listeners. Uh, from Andrew, had Wasps not had issues with COVID to some key players in the build-up to Prem final, how different could it have gone? Well, I think they still got themselves in with a chance, didn't they? They had yeah. a line-out. Yeah, they had the an opportunity. Beat, beat. I mean, I would flip that on its head and say, had COVID not happened, would Wasps have been in the, the final? <laughs> that, that, that is an interesting point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So there's there's two ways of looking at, at how COVID has affected Wasp. I think I think Wasp will be disappointed with the way that 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 went. Um, but look, I, I think I, they got themselves back from a, a, a pretty big hole where they were in yeah. the, you know early start of 2020, and um, I think they did fantastically well to get there, given some of the other teams that were knocking around. Final one from Alistair Wise. ITV Six Nations coverage features female studio analysts and commentators, much to the benefit of the viewing experience. Is it time that other networks followed this example? Well, I think they are doing quite rightly so. I, I have no problem at all, as long as they're good, which they are, by yeah. the way. You know, people like Maggie Alfonso, absolutely no problem at all. No, I completely agree. There was some, I saw some stuff on social media over the last couple of days, some pretty horrendous and very disrespectful comments about about uh, some of the some of the ladies that have been working on on the games and look they provide balanced opinion they've got good opinions they've had great rugby experience and why can't they provide that that opinion um and if it's a question of you getting used to a female voice then you have to get used to a female voice because that's the future. Everyone does at home. <laughs> Tell you what, come and live with me with five females for a day and you'll soon get used to it. That's all we've got time for this week on Brian Moore's Full Contact with the Telegraph. Thank you very much to my co-host Tom May and to all our guests. If you enjoyed this episode, why not subscribe and check out some of our previous episodes. To stay up to date on all things sport, head to telegraph.co.uk forward slash contact where listeners can get 30 days access to all Telegraph's premium sports coverage completely free. I'll be out next week to review the final round of the longest Six Nations in history and I'll be here throughout the Autumn International Series. So for now, it's goodbye. Full Contact, in association with Mitsubishi Motors, Drive your ambition. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health Right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.